So this morning we're going to continue on in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, as we look at Jesus calling the first disciples. So please stand with me to honor the Lord as we read his word. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, we begin in verse 1, where it says, On this occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret. So the lake of Gennesaret and the Sea of Galilee are the same thing. He's standing by the Sea of Galilee, and there's this crowd of people pressing in on him to hear the, the word of the Lord. And this is a common thing. We've seen it over and over. Well, my question for you this morning is, what might they be hearing? What might they be listening to? Because his sermon and what he is saying at this time is not, is not given to us. But Jesus was a great teacher, and any great teacher that teaches and goes around and speaks to many different people repeats himself. They don't, they don't always say new things at every time. And so I think it's entirely possible that at this time Jesus was saying some of the things that he may have said at other times in his ministry to this group of people. Perhaps these people were learning about who Jesus is as the light of the world or as him being one with the Father or him being a good shepherd. Or perhaps they were hearing a parable. Jesus often spoke in parables to help people understand who he was and what his kingdom was like. Perhaps they were hearing about the precious, expanding, eternal nature of the kingdom of God or perhaps the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the prodigal son. Perhaps Jesus was teaching them morally about how they should live before God in generosity and purity and love even towards their enemies. Perhaps Jesus was teaching them about the future. Jesus often spoke about the future and about how there was judgment coming and that they should be careful and be warned of it. And this is why he had come as a savior because we know of whatever he was speaking to them, he certainly was speaking to them about his grace and about his mercy and that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or that those who are weary should come unto him and find rest because he is merciful and gracious. But whatever it is that Jesus was teaching the people at these times, they were pressing in to hear it. 
because it was true and it was words of life and it was words that had authority and words that had strength and words that resonated in their hearts in ways that no other word had. And so I ask you this morning, because today God's word is still available to us and it's available to us in the scriptures. And so I ask you, are you pressing in like these people did with Jesus? Do you press in to the scriptures? Are the scriptures precious to you? Do you long to hear those words from him like these people long to hear the words of Jesus? We have readily available the scriptures on apps, on any bookstore we go to. It's, it's so common that unfortunately familiarity can breed contempt or a lack of desire because it's there always with us. But just because it exists and is sitting on our table or sitting on our bookshelf, it doesn't mean that we're opening it with interest and passion and seeking after the Lord Jesus And so I challenge you this morning to have the same passion as these people did and make time this week to take time and open your schedule to read the scriptures, to take time each day to read a chapter of the word. And before you sit down, pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. Ask for the Holy Spirit to illumine and help you grasp what is there that you might be wise. And then read the scriptures. And then afterwards, what is there, pray and ask God to give you the faith to believe it and then to act on it. That when you walk away, just like when these people walked away from this shore, some of them believed the things that Jesus said. And they went away and they were changed and they lived differently. And this is what we pray for each and every day as we open the scriptures. That we might believe these things and that we might act on them. For it is a, a passion to hear God's word and a perseverance to stay after listening to Jesus that brought these people into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's the same for you and I. It's not going to be a one-time encounter, but a passion and a perseverance to stay after seeking Jesus that you might know who he is. For years, these disciples followed after Jesus. Wherever he went, they would go to hear what he had to say because they knew that he had words of life. And so it is with us. That day after day, week after week, year after year, we come back to the scriptures to press in, to hear what Jesus has to say, that we might hear these words of life. But at some point in his teaching there by the seashore, he comes to takes a break, and he looks over and he sees fishing boats. It says there were two boats by the lake, the fishermen that had gone out the night before, and they were washing their nets. So they're closing up shop. They're cleaning their nets. And he goes over and gets into one of these boats. It doesn't really say that he asks. He just kind of goes over and gets into Peter's boat. Like, all right, I'm going I'm I'm to teach him here for a little while. And he asks Peter, Simon, who he later changes his name to Peter, and asks him to push out a little bit from the land. So maybe these people are just so in his face that he's getting knee-deep in the water. And, all right, it's time for a boat. So bring some separation, a little bit of a pulpit. And I just think it's so great. We do know that Jesus, in his normal uh, teaching routine, went to the synagogues and went and preached and and taught in a setting somewhat like this. But it's also exciting to see that Jesus took every opportunity to teach people, whether it was by the road or in a fishing boat or wherever it was along the way. Jesus was always excited to talk about the kingdom of God and the mercy and grace that was open to them and to warn people and to teach people. Whatever the occasion, he took the occasion. So he goes and he sits in the bow of this boat and he continues to teach the people. Well, at some point uh, in verse 4, the second half of that, he stops again. And he says to Simon, 
who we assume is listening. It's his boat. He's probably sitting right in the boat behind Jesus, listening to him teach this crowd of people. And he says to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. It doesn't seem like a hard, not, not, a, not a whole lot to ask unless you look at the story. Now, I like to fish. I like to saltwater fish. I'm not much of a freshwater fisherman, but I like to get in. Dad's got, always had a great boat, and we'll go out. And our kids, they love to saltwater fish too. And there is nothing more fun than catching a big fish on a line. So you bait it, and you get it out there, and when the, the, line, the zing of the line goes, and you know that it's, 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 it's a fish, and you start reeling it in, and you pull in something big, it's an absolute blast. And there's an art to it, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But on every fishing trip, there always comes a time when you say, we're done fishing. We're not catching any more fish today. There's no more fish. And there's always somebody that wants this fish a little bit longer. And finally, everybody agrees. There's no more fish out here. We're, we're all done. We're tired. We're going in. And you go in. And by the time you get in, nobody really wants to clean the gear up because everybody's tired of being on the water. But the gear will be all nasty and rusty if you don't wash it off and clean it up. So you've got to clean it all up, which is what they've done. And they put it all away. And they've been fishing all night long. And then Jesus says, I want you to reverse course, go out, throw everything back in the water, and see if you can catch some more fish. Now, I can just see Peter looking over at Andrew, his brother, and thinking, all right, are we going to do this or are we not going to do this? Because he says, Jesus, we, we've been out all night long. We, we didn't catch a thing all night. But he looks over at Andrew, and his answer is yes. But let's look specifically at his answer because it's powerful. And it's something that I want you to walk away from this morning with in verse 5. Simon answered and said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. At his word. They were willing to do it. Why? Because Jesus asked them to do it. He said, I want you to go do this. And this is the mark of every true follower of Jesus Christ, is that when God asks you to do something, you say, yes, I will do what you have asked me to do. And so they go out in faith, simple faith, but he has been hearing Jesus teach in power, and he's like, yes, I'm going to do it. At your word, I will do it. And they drop the nets down, and this crazy thing happens. All these fish jump in the net, and before you know it, the nets are just full and so they call the other boat over, and it talks about this process. The other fishing boats come over, and the nets are breaking, and they're just dumping fish into the boats until the boats are both full to sinking, it says. And it's a miraculous event. But let's, before we get to that, we're talking about this obedience, because this is obedience. When God calls you to do something that you don't necessarily want to do, or something that's radically inconvenient, or something that is way out of the way, or you just doesn't make sense. We obey as followers of Christ because God has called us to do it. The wisdom of God is at when God asks us to do something, it is normal that he does not tell us what the end of that thing is. And often it does not seem wise for us to do it. There's no clear reason for why we are doing it. Over and over and over this happens in the scriptures. And this is because we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Sight has everything lined out. Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. So I can see that if I start step one, I'm going to get to step five, and that's where I'm going. That's walking by sight. Walking by faith is Jesus says, I want you to do this. And I'm not telling you any of the other steps, but I just want you to do this. And you know he wants you to do it, 
and you can't see what the end of it is. Or the end of it may seem strange or make no sense. But Jesus has called us to do it. And so obedience is following the command of God even when we don't know what the end of that is. And this is constant throughout the scriptures from the very beginning to the very end. When we look at Bible characters, we begin with Abraham. I just want you to pick up your whole family and move to a foreign land that you know nothing about. And that's all I'm telling you. All right, that's, that's not easy, okay? You may read it in the scriptures, that's a big, that's easy, that's not easy. But Abraham did it, and he did it because God told him to do it. Moses, I want you to go as a shepherd, as a no-name, nobody, and go back and demand of Pharaoh to let the people go. Moses had a rough start, I'll give you that. If you go back and read it, he didn't really want to go, and it took him a little while, but God pushed him, and finally he went, and it worked out. Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Nick was reading us a little bit about the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. All these people, they were all called to do things by God that the end was not known. Peter, Paul, Cornelius, every single godly person in the scriptures, all of them, without fail. And it will happen in your life too. God will call you to do things that it is unclear as to what the end is. God does not bless the lives of those who hear his commands but decide not to obey because they don't see how it's going to work out for their benefit. Let me read that again. God does not bless the lives of those who hear his commands, but decide not to obey because they don't see how it's going to work out for their benefit. We must obey when the word of the Lord comes to us. Obedience to God's command is never easy, and it is always sacrificial. It's never easy, and it's always sacrificial because the Lord causes us and wants us to give up something. We even see it in this story. He didn't go to them on a day when everything was set up and ready to go and they were excited about going up fishing anyway. He could have done that. He could have caused this occasion to work out where they were getting ready to go fishing and they were all excited about it and here we go. Instead, he brings it probably at the worst possible time to actually get them to go back out is when they're dog tired, everything's cleaned up and they haven't caught anything. That's when he asks. And that's when the Lord asks us to do things as well. When our strength is out and our motivation is done, and then he comes to us and says, I want you to go do this. Because then it's an act of faith, it's an act of trust, and it's an act of sacrificial obedience. I want to read to you from a few chapters over in Luke, Luke chapter 9, because this idea of sacrificial obedience and laying down ourselves comes up over and over and over in the teachings of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, Jesus says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. What, what are all these but, 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 what is all this? It's excuses. It's excuses. Let, I want to I follow you, but uh, I got I to do this. I, I want to follow you, but, but this. There will always be a laundry list of excuses for why not to do what God has called you to do. But Jesus says in verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
The idea is that when I have called you to do something and I have commanded you to do it, I am your authority. I'm your final authority. And when you give me an excuse, I will remove my blessing from your life. And God is patient, and these things work their way out. But the, the, the norm in our life must be that we say yes. And in this analogy, you put your hand to the plow. Is the plow an instrument of, of fun and good times? Nope. It's an instrument of hard work. And we put our hands to the plow of the work that the Lord has for us, and we keep plowing that field, and we keep after it, and the Lord brings blessing in the midst of it. So the idea is that we do not give excuses for not obeying Jesus. Instead, we should expect the commands given to us by God to require both faith and sacrificial obedience. So it was a small example for Peter. God always starts us out small. The small sacrifice is you've got to reclean the nets. But the obedience is, I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then it got much, much bigger in Peter's life. And I was thinking about, there's countless examples of this that I could give to you, but one of the interesting ones that I'm going to throw out as an example of this is marriage. Marriage as an act of faith before God. Why, why is this? It, well, marriage is an act of both obedience and it's an act of faith. And I believe we see less and less people being married in our day and age because of a failing on both sides. Why is it an act of obedience? It's an act of obedience because God has been very clear in his moral commands to us that our sexual expression must only be in marriage between one man and one woman. And that's what God has commanded. And so when we throw that aside and we say we don't care about that, something bad happens. But it is an act of faith to say, you know what? I'm going to ask this person to marry me or this person's going to say, yes, I will marry you. And we're going to believe that since God has designed this, and this is what he has commanded, that it's going to lead to a good future. Every one of us in here have been scarred by difficult, difficult, failed marriages, whether it be personally or within your family or whatever it may be. It's hard for young people in this generation to look favorably at marriage. But marriage is an act of, of faith. It is believing that God will bring a good end to it if I continue to obey him. And this is not a, not a perfect analogy, but I, I hope you can understand where I'm going with this. That when we're talking to our young people and encouraging them, obey the Lord and act in faith. This is just one of those big life decisions that we have to obey him and trust him in and believe that good things will come. So just like Peter standing by that boat, I believe that this morning when we talk about Peter being told and responding to the Lord and saying, at your word, I will act. You know in your life what God is calling you to. You know what issue of obedience is rolling around in your heart where you're pressing against God saying, ah, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. Like, I, I understand what you want me to do, but I don't know that I want to do that because that's sacrificial. It's going to be hard. It's going to take faith. It's going to be difficult. But you know what God is calling you to. And I ask you, will you obey? Will you put your boat out into the water? Will you take action to do what God has called you to do? Because when you push the boat out into the water and you take the action, that is when the Lord will begin to bless your life and will show you more and more of what he is doing with you. So what happens is when we take that step of obedience and we act, 
then the Lord acts in return, and then we begin to see his confirming work in our life. And this happened big time for Peter. So all this, the, the fish are coming in and all this craziness. And my understanding of the way this passage reads is that there's a passing of time. Because it says they called for the other boat, the other boat came over, they dumped all these fish into the second boat, they're both sinking. This takes time, okay? This is not an instantaneous thing, which makes sense to me. Because what mode is Peter in? Peter's in fishing mode. Like, this is the greatest fishing day of my whole life. I can't believe what is happening here. But then it changes, and the mode changes, because he realizes, no, this is not the greatest fishing day of my life. This is a supernatural event This is something that God has caused. And that this Jesus, who was just sitting in the front of my boat teaching, telling us that he's the Son of God, he is in fact the Son of God. There's a realization, and you see it come upon him in the end of verse 8. He says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So the fishing is over. I don't care about the fishing anymore. I've got the Son of God standing in the boat, and I am unworthy to be anywhere near him. A deep sense of his own personal sinfulness comes over him in the presence of Jesus. And we can understand this and should not be surprised by this. Whenever we are in the presence of someone who is great, whatever it may be, a great musician, if you care about music and it's a great musician, or you care about athletics and you're in the presence of a great athlete, or you care about academics and you're in the presence of a genius, how do you feel about yourself? You're like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm nowhere near, I, I am pathetic, you know, I, I, can't, I can't play anything like this person can play, I am an idiot compared to this person, or I'm never, I, I don't, if I worked in the gym every day the rest of my life, I'd never be as, as good as this person. And this great sense of inadequacy comes over you, and it is the same with us before a holy and perfect God And we see it right from the very beginning of Scripture where Adam, after he sins the first time and God comes back into that garden to fellowship and walk with him, what does Adam do? He goes and hides because there's a sense of shame because he realizes there's now a distance between him and God. And when we come into the presence of a holy and perfect God, we feel the weight of our sinfulness in light of his perfection. But the beauty and the goodness of this passage is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus does not drive Peter out and tell him to get out of his presence because he is not worthy. What he does instead is what he is doing. He is pursuing Peter and he is drawing Peter close to himself that he might tell him that I love you, I am going to die for your sins, that you might be forgiven, that you might have a relationship with me that has no shame and no separation because I love you. He is teaching Peter about himself. He is strengthening Peter. He is making him new that he might save him. And it is the same with you. When you first come into the presence of God and you first realize who God is, the first thing that's going to happen with you is great uh, conviction of your own sin and understanding that you are not worthy to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. You're not worthy to be called his follower or to be called his child. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that we can come and confess our sins and the Lord God is willing to forgive our sins and wipe all these things away that there might be joy and gladness where there was once condemnation and sadness. Peter's relationship mirrors, I believe, many of our relationships. This is his first real realization of who God is. This is his initial step of faith where he first believes. And we know it's true belief because God asked him, 
He doesn't tell him. He says, follow me. And he drops all the nets and he follows him. He believes. But Peter goes through a series, an evolution of, of belief, because it's years of Peter following after Jesus. And at the end of that, we see his great denial of Jesus, where he fails miserably in his, in his walk of faith. But after that, Jesus brings him back in the patient, loving, kind, and merciful way that Jesus always does. And he brings him back, strengthens him again, tells him to go feed his sheep in an event almost exactly like this, by the way, at the end of John. It's amazing how Jesus works in our life. But Peter comes into a time of great maturity and intentional service to the Lord. Perhaps your walk of faith has been like that, where there was a time when you were younger, when you first believed in Christ, and there were some years of, of wandering and not being sure of what's going on, but now you feel that the Lord is calling you back to a time of intentional service. I am going to intentionally and in a passionate and single-hearted way serve the Lord, and this is what happened with Peter. But verses 10 and 11 take us on in the story because he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And they were brought to the boats to the land. They left everything and followed him. In Matthew 4, which captures the same story, Jesus says it in a slightly different way. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. It's an analogy. He's saying, listen, you used to catch fish. You used to go out and diligently labor. This is your profession to go out and bring fish in. Now it's going to be about people. It's not going to be about fish anymore. It's going to be about the hearts of people. That you're going to care about the hearts of lost people like you were passionate about catching fish. You're going to be passionate about telling people about Jesus and bringing them into my kingdom. A skilled fisherman is intentional and skillful in the way that they do things. And you think about the intentionality of a fisherman. A, tension, a, a fisherman cares about the seasons, and they, they care about the schedule of what's going on. They'll get up early to beat the heat, to go to a certain spot, and they'll prep all their gear the night before and get out there. And they have a certain place and certain uh, journals that they keep. I've got a friend of mine uh, up in Delaware who's a, a professional, semi-professional tuna fisherman. He re reels in these insanely huge fish, but it's not by accident. He is scientific about this. He knows the seasons. He knows the weather. He knows exactly the GPS location where such and such wreck is. And he knows how deep they are. And he'll, he'll hand dole out the line to make sure that lure, which is just a certain lure, gets in just the right place. And all of this is in some way analogous to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. Sharing the gospel or being an evangelist is not about memorizing one method of helping people understand the gospel. And every time you go talk to someone, you give them this shtick that you memorized. And, and here's, I'm going to tell you this, and if you, if you believe this, then that's what's going to happen. We might begin that way, but the longer we grow in Christ and the more we want to tell people about Jesus, the more that we're going to look at who is this person and where can I meet them and how can I talk to them about the gospel in a way that will, that will touch them right where they are. How can I pray for them in a way that is intensely personal to them? And it's my goal and my longing for each one of you to know Christ Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus and I come into your life and I figure out that you don't know Christ, 
I'm going to start fishing, and I'm going to start working to see how is it that I can explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to you in a way that will be meaningful to you, in a way that will help you grasp who Jesus is and what his love is for you, that you might confess your sins and know Christ as your Savior. And so they leave. They drop everything, and they become followers of Jesus Christ. And I would mention to you that they were followers him unto death. If you look in Acts 12, 2, uh, it talks about how uh, James, mentioned in this passage, was one of the first martyrs, one of the first to die for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so their love for Jesus started here, but it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew until it overtook their whole life, and they began to be the founders of the early church. I encourage you, we've talked about pressing into the word this morning. Press into the word this week. Seek to know Christ. Obeying the call of God's command in your life. What is it that God is calling you to this morning? What is it that his word is upon your life and he's asking you to sacrifice something, give up something, and take a step of faith to follow him? I encourage you that you do that and that you trust him as Savior and go out from this place as a joyful evangelist, someone that is seeking after other people in your life that they might know who Christ is. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this passage. This is just an exciting passage. I love to see how you work in this passage. And I pray this week that these things that we see here, they would be true in our lives. I pray that we would take time uh, to seek after you, to press into your word, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would help us to understand your word, that we might know it and do it. And that when we feel the weight of your commands, whether it be a moral command or a directional issue, whatever it is, when we feel that it's sacrificial, when we feel that it's going to take a step of faith, Lord, that we might do those things, that we might take that step of faith and obey you and then see how you work in our lives. And I pray, God, for all of us, all of us that know you as Savior, that we would not keep these things to ourselves. Help us to be zealous evangelists. Help us to go out in the pattern of Jesus and in the pattern of Peter and James and John and tell others about you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.